Hey, well, this morning is a very exciting morning for us because right now, live, we're going to Selwyn. And I'm able to say a great good morning to the people at Selwyn. How good is this that we're able to be in two locations and receive the word together? It's so good. Why don't we, as the campus here at La Vida, give, put our hands together and say hello to the people at Selwyn. How good it is. Awesome. And the reason we're live streaming this morning is because we have some very special guests with us. And uh, I don't know how many of you know this couple, but if you've been around the church over the last nine years, you will have sat under their ministry. That's David and Greta Peters. Before you clap for them, I just want to talk about them a little bit. We're great and blessed to have the prophets with us this morning. And uh, they have blessed us every year for nine years when they come. They always bring something fresh. They always leave a deposit of faith. They always leave us with challenges and things to work on and trust God for. They speak to our future and our destiny, which gives us great hope and great faith. They speak not only here in New Zealand, all over New Zealand, but they speak around the world a a lot in the UK and also in Australia, and I believe have been to America this last year as well. God's opened that door for them. We are so blessed to have them here. We know you're going to be blessed at Selwyn as well under their ministry. We're really looking forward to what God will speak through them to us this morning. Are you ready, church? You excited to have them here? I want us to put our hands together and give them an almighty huge welcome as they come to share this morning. Thanks, Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning at Selwyn. It's great to be connected and be here, and uh, we just love this church. We love everything God is doing here, and I have to say, you know, we come once a year, Uh, We can sense a real rise over the 12 months, sense of God's presence. The word I'm getting is buoyancy. You know, there's like you guys are floating on something uh, of the presence of God and uh, just keep it up. Keep going after God. It's awesome. And we just love the fact that over the last 12 months, there's been progress, there's been development, and uh, we love that. You're living with this place every week, but we can see coming in once a year just advancement and uh, love this church, love all that God's doing. Love the fact that he's raising up a new generation. And I look around the leadership team Friday night, see so many young faces, but I also want to just honor the older ones that are championing the next generation. And we believe all over the earth, the next generation's on the rise, but we oldies, we've still got a huge part to play in saying, come on, we're going to keep serving God. There's no such thing as retirement. I believe in refinement. You might retire from a job, but you'll never retire from work. And so all the oldies out there, like us, keep, keep praying, keep championing the next generation, because uh, we've got a nation to turn to Jesus. Amen. So uh, God bless you. Greta's going to share something. I'll return. Well, we just always absolutely love coming here to this, this church, Life Church. I, I sense it's, it's almost like our, our home on the South Island, yeah, and you hold a very special place in our hearts. And we, what David said, we really can sense this increase that God is, is busy developing in you. And there is much, much more to come. We shared that with the, with the leaders uh, the other night. Much, much more to come, more than you could ask or imagine. So, that, so you, you have a shining future. What David and I um, are going to share today very briefly um, are expressions of Father's love. 
And one of the things I sense he wants to do is impart to all of us a greater revelation of his love. And here's why. We are entering into times of tumultuous, accelerated change in the earth. Father is intent on releasing his purposes in the nations. And on the other side, the devil is raging in opposition. And with all this happening, our Father wants us to live free from all fear. He wants us to be fearless and courageous. And the only way to live fearlessly is, is to know that no matter what, we are safe and secure in his love. Because it's a revelation of his love that will, that will cast out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love right. and of power and of self-discipline. So this message that I'm going to share is called, Your Father Owns It All. And it's a word of encouragement about provision and God as our provider. I love Jeremiah 3.4 because it expresses God's desire for us to call him my father, my friend. And it reminds us when we pray to ask my father, to ask my friend. Ask your friend. You know, in Luke 11.5-8, Jesus told a story. A man goes to his friend at midnight and asks for bread, even though he he knows he's fast asleep. He asks boldly with complete assurance, because after all, it is his friend. He knows him, and he knows what his response is going to be. And we read in verse 8, his friend gives him as much bread as he needs. So ask God your friend boldly with complete assurance for whatever you need. He will give you as much bread as you need. And we know that the bread or food speaks of our needs. It it symbolizes that. Immediately before Jesus told the story, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he said to them. When you pray, say, Father, I honor your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Immediately after the story, Jesus said this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Everyone who asks, receives. So ask your father. In Matthew 7, 9, you know, Jesus said, if a child asks his earthly father for bread, his father will give him bread because he knows how to give good gifts to his children. Then he said, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And elsewhere, he also said, you know, when you pray, you don't have to keep on um, speaking repetitively and babble away like the pagans do, because your father knows what you need even before you ask him. I remember when I was a child and I asked my, my earthly mom and dad for food. I didn't have to beg them, you know, mom, dad, please feed me. Never beg your father in heaven. Just ask. Simply receive and say, thank you, Father. He is a good, kind, generous Father. And here is the key to confidently ask. You know that God is your Father 
and you understand his heart towards you. When you know these things, you will ask with that boldness and complete assurance. We've got a PowerPoint coming up. Oh, on the TV. Cool. And you can see here is a little boy standing in front of a bakery shop. Now, imagine this. He's really hungry, but he's only got five cents in his pocket. So that small coin can't buy him anything. Now, imagine a completely different scenario. Same boy, same five cents in his pocket. But his father owns the store. Suddenly, everything changes. He can go behind that counter and ask his daddy for whatever he wants. We have the next picture coming up. He has access to everything in that store through relationship. And here's the deal. Your father owns the store. In fact, your father owns it all. The entire earth and everything in it belongs to him. You are his beloved, precious child. He smiles on you. His favor is on you. He takes great delight in you. You are his treasure and his pleasure. This is what the Bible says. And he loves you as you are with a constant, unchanging love. And your father says to you exactly what the father said in the story in Luke 15, verse 31. My son, my daughter, everything I have is yours. Isn't that amazing? Everything Father has, he says, is yours. And I close with this promise in in Philippians 4.19. My God, my provider, will provide all your needs, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When I know my Father owns it all and delights to generously provide for me, It changes everything. It changes my perspective. It changes the way I pray. I ask as a beloved, precious child, and I ask my father, I ask my friend. I love that thought that our father owns the bakery. He owns it all. And we don't have to beg. How many of you stopping by the bakery on the way home? That kind of, that kind of got my juices going, all that beautiful baking. But uh, might be for lunch. I want to talk to you about sparrows. Um, you know, in the prophetic, our ministry is prophetic. And one who prophesies, it says, speaks to people to edify, exhort, and comfort them. Edify is build up, exhort is stir up, and comfort is cheer up. And this message that Greta and I are sharing this morning is more along the lines of comfort. Tonight, we want to talk to you. Uh, we've got a prophetic word. Uh, it's called Prophetic Insights for the 2020s. We want to share some of the things that we believe God is saying for the coming decade. Uh, because we can need to be positioned for what God is about to do in the earth. And so that'll be uh, tonight, and we'll, it'll be a um, Holy Spirit ministry time. If you want to encounter the presence of God... And hear what he's going to say or saying about the coming years, then I really encourage you to come tonight. Uh, we have a family of sparrows in the, uh, in the corner of the roof of our house. And uh, I, I observed these things nesting a few years ago, and I thought, darn it, 
they're going to mess my roof up. Uh, but, you know, they were, they were cute little birds, and I noticed that every day they'd fly around the house picking off all the insects off the bricks and windows. So I thought, these are my friends, you know, and, and I, I began to like them. And sometimes I'm sitting in my office looking out the window, and one lands on a window ledge and looks in and probably says hi and sparrow talk, I don't know. And uh, so I got to really like them, and then they had chicks, and then blow me down if they didn't spread to the second corner nearby. So now we've got two sparrow families. Because I'd been asking the Holy Spirit, I need a new message, Lord. And he was drawing my attention to these sparrows in our roof. And actually, Psalm 84.3 says, Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have a young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Seems like sparrows were making nests in the temple way back in, uh, in, in Jewish times. And, uh, and then we were, we were up north in Kaitaia, way up north, and Greta was sharing like she shared this morning, and a little sparrow flew in, and it just hopped around her for the duration of her talk, and then it flew off. I thought, okay, I'll get the message, Lord. You're saying something about sparrows. What is it? And I felt like the Holy Spirit say, this little bird is going to become a prophetic symbol for the people of God in the coming years, like a prophetic mascot that we'll need to uh, look at the sparrow and hear what God is going to say through that little bird. And of course, since writing this message, I've just been seeing sparrows everywhere, and that's because they are everywhere. It's like when you decide to buy a certain car, you suddenly start seeing them on the road everywhere. You've not noticed them before. And you know, we, we, we spend three months of the year in the United Kingdom, there's sparrows there. They cheap with a chirp with a British accent, but they're sparrows. We were in the United States. Yeah, they got sparrows. They chirp with an American accent. And the Aussie accent, sparrows, they're really broad in their chirping. And, uh, but they're everywhere, these things. And the meaning of, of the name sparrow comes from the old English sparwi, which means to flutter or quiver, to shake or to tremble. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is highlighting this little bird for two main reasons. One is he wants to emphasize that the church globally is coming into a time of unprecedented freedom. Freedom. Hosea eleven ten to 12 says this. They, that's the people of Israel, will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, quivering like sparrows from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. And of course, this is prophetically speaking of the nation of Israel, and we are seeing that in our day. God is calling to the nations of the earth, and Jews from all over the world are returning to Israel. We are actually seeing the fulfillment because God is roaring, and the Jews are returning home, a prophetic sign of the last days. But not only that, God is roaring into the earth because this promise is for all the children of God, not just native-born Jews, but for all who are descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. We are all children of God, and God 
God is roaring over the nations because he wants his kids to come into freedom. He wants people to be freed from addiction to sin, from bondage, from oppression. And God is roaring in the earth wanting to bring freedom. Not only that, he's roaring so that the prodigals will come back. Those who once walked with Jesus but who no longer do. I tell you, this is an hour in the earth where you need to be praying for any prodigals in your life, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, parents, grandchildren, whatever, friends that have once walked with God but are now away, pray for them. Add your roar to God's roar because if God is roaring, the church on earth must roar and say, come back into the kingdom of God. You know, when my first wife, Jane, was still alive, one of our sons got involved in drugs at high school. And, and, you know, he didn't even finish his education in high school because the drugs, you know, really affected him. And he left school and, he, and, he, and you know, he got a job, but he just got deeper and deeper into the drug scene and ended up, in, you know, dealing, dealing in methamphetamine as well as addicted to it. And, you know, we were heartbroken about that. But the Lord said, I want you to do two things. If you'll do these two things, then I'm going to touch your boy. And so the Holy Spirit said, I want you to love him unconditionally and pray unceasingly. And, you know, when, when you, you, you're in disagreement with what your child is doing, because you know it's... And, you know, we made that known. What you're doing is destructive, but you've got to love unconditionally. And I remember one day, he, after some years in the scene, he comes around home one day, and as he's leaving, he said, Dad... How come you and mum still love me so much, given all that I'm up to? I said, son, that's easy. We love you not because of what you do or don't do. We love you because you're our son. And, you know, he left. And then uh, he was in that scene for 12 years. And then when his mum passed away um, in 2007, he came back to Jesus. Now, some people come out of the drug scene, they're saved, and like everything dramatically changes. But some, it's a journey. And for our son, it was a journey. And we had to keep, I had to keep praying because there was baggage. When you go into the world, into that scene for 12 years, you're going to have baggage. You know, don't think sin won't bite you. Don't think you can dabble in sin. Don't think that, you, I'll just try this and I'll be okay. I'll just confess it. You know, it can leave a legacy in your life. It can leave a bondage in your life. And then the Lord has to come and minister into your life. And, you know, he had a failed marriage because of the, the whole baggage of the drug scene. But he just kept growing in the Lord. Finally, he got into a great church in Auckland. And they just began to pick him up and disciple him. And, and he just began to change and grow uh, before the Lord. And, you know, he got a great, he was a great salesman, got a great job, began to earn a six-figure salary, uh, you know, became a leader in his church, etc., etc. And then early this year, he rings me, he said, Dad, I've had a dream. I believe God's spoken to me in the night. He said, I, I believe the Lord is wanting me to go to, to Bible college this year. I said, wow, that's pretty. And you're going to give away your salary? To, yeah. He said, I feel God. I can't, I can't outrun God. I feel like I've got to do this. And so he gave away that huge salary to be at Bible college this year. And, you know, he's been growing in God. And then earlier this year, he remarried. Beautiful young Maori girl who's the uh, pastor's PA. And she's such a godly uh, young lady. And, and, uh, and I've just been watched as I've seen God restore him. 
God bring redemption. And now he's, he's graduating Bible college. They've asked him to join the pastoral staff. This is my kid that was in the drug scene for 12 years. God has brought a transformation. If you've got a loved one that's away in some bondage, away in drugs or whatever it is, then you pray unceasingly, love unconditionally. I tell you, it might take a few years, but God will bring them back because he's roaring into the earth right now saying, prodigals, I want you back in my kingdom. And this is not a time for you and me to sleep. We must be praying for lost people in our lives, praying for the prodigals. You cannot afford to sleep. When God is roaring, the church must hear that voice, and we roar in faith, and we roar in prayer. And Greta shared that last year. The lion is roaring. The lion is roaring. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, so freedom is one of the huge things that the, the little sparrows are a symbol of that, that I believe God is saying. And the other, the other thing I believe this little bird symbolizes is, is God's care and protection. Matthew 10, 29 and 31, Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? A penny is about two cents, okay? So it's like it's not much. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. In Luke 12, 6 and 7, uh, Luke records the same incident. And he, and he puts it this way. Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Now, you might say, why did the Jews sell sparrows in the marketplace? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, if a person was really poor and they couldn't afford a lamb, or a dove, or something like that, to offer a sacrifice at the temple, they could afford to pay for a sparrow or two, and, and that would be a sacrifice, or they were also used for food. Now, I know that sounds disgusting, but just think of the sparrow as a tiny chicken, and it's okay, all right? So the poor would eat them. And you can imagine the Jewish businessman. He's got sparrows. He's selling them. And he's, you know, come on. Just, uh, you can have two for a penny. And so someone comes up, puts the penny down. I'll take two. And then the Jewish businessman says, now listen, if you put a second penny down, I'll, I'll not only give you four, I'll throw in one free. You can have five for two pennies. Like this is good business trade going on. So five sparrows for four cents. Like they're not even worth a cent each. Jesus is saying there's almost they are worthless economically. And yet to their father in heaven, not one sparrow anywhere in the world falls to the ground without him knowing. Wow. He cares for his creation. He's mindful of his creation. And if that's true about sparrows, how much more, Jesus is suggesting, you and I are worth to God in heaven. But the problem is, we have an adversary. We have an enemy. His name is the devil. And one of his names is the accuser of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. And he runs full time on accusation, condemnation, and guilt. 
and he'll work overtime to reduce your sense of worth before God, to reduce you down to religious performance where you feel that God only likes you if you're performing well. God loves you however you're performing. You're not saved by religious performance. You're saved through faith in Jesus. You have the favor of God on you through faith in the Lord Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And if you and I live in religious performance and allow the insecurity that that brings, then every day we're going to wonder whether God really cares, whether God really loves, because you'll be basing his care and love on your performance. And how many know no one in this room is perfect yet? But we have trust in a perfect one who's perfectly forgiven us, perfectly loved us. And that doesn't mean we can go out and be stupid and sin. We, because of his great love, we want to live a holy life. We want to live a pure life. But we're worth more than many sparrows. You and I need to know that. And sometimes when you go through trouble, when everything is not working out well, That's when the devil comes with accusations and begins to slander the character of God and says, well, does God really care for you? You know, you talk about Father God's love. He's your father, but look what's happening to you. Why are you going through this? Why hasn't God answered your prayer? Why hasn't God healed you yet? Why did that person you prayed for die and not get healed? And he'll come with slanderous accusations against the character of God. I've figured this out in my 40 years as a Christian. There's a thing called mystery, and you don't have answers for everything. And if you want answers for everything that happens in life, you're going to become an embittered, offended Christian because there are some things God is not going to give you an answer for till you get to heaven. But his eyes on the sparrow. You know, the early American Indians had a unique practice, the North American Indians, uh, for training children to become braves or warriors. And they would take them at a certain age and they'd begin to train them in all the skills of the tribe like hunting and fishing and uh, bow and arrow and spear work. And if the tribe uh, had horses, horse riding, they would just train these kids in all the skills that they needed to become a brave or a warrior. But there was one final test that had to take place in order for them to become a fully-fledged member of the tribe, to go out with the other warriors uh, in hunting parties and whatever. And that was on the eve of the young man's 13th birthday, They would blindfold him, and some of the other warriors would lead him out miles and miles away from the village where he'd been, that's all he'd known all his life, the village, and been surrounded by people that loved him. And he had to pass a test of staying the night alone by himself miles away from the village. So they would take him to a heavily wooded forest, blindfolded didn't know where he was, and it would be dusk. And so by the time he got there, it was getting dark. And then we'd take the blindfold off, and they'd say, your test is to stay the night here, and we'll come back in the morning for you. But if you pass this test of courage, then you are graduating to be a fully-fledged warrior of the tribe. And so they leave the kid, and they go. It's pitch dark. 
Now, you've got to know that in North America, there's a lot of nasty animals out there. There's snakes, there's bears, there's mountain lions, there's wolves, there's coyotes. There's a whole bunch of these things. And you can imagine every little sound in the night. The kid is worried. He hears a wolf howl and fear goes through his mind. He hears an owl hoot and it's kind of a haunting sound. He then hears other noises in the night and he hears twigs or branches breaking. Like, is that a big bear out there somewhere? And you've got to know that when you're terrified, time goes very slowly. It's like the night just drags on and on and on. This kid's thinking like, is this ever going to end? And he's terrified. He doesn't sleep because he's not going to sleep. I don't know what's going to creep up on me. He can't see because it's pitch dark, but he can hear. He's terrified. Finally, finally, the first rays of the dawn begin to break. And a little bit of light comes into the forest and then a little bit more light. And as he looks around, he sees like, wow, this actually isn't such a bad place. He's heard a creek in the night, but now he sees this beautiful, clear running water. He looks around, he sees flowers and growing and it's quite a pleasant place. And then as he lifts up his eyes and looks a bit further, a few hundred meters away, he sees a man standing in the shadow of a tree. And as he walks towards the man, he's shocked to discover it's his father. And his father has been standing guard all night with his bow and arrow, ready to protect his son should anything happen. I want to tell you, church, when you go through difficulty, every one of us goes through the long night of the soul where it's dark, where the enemy is intimidating, where stuff is happening, and it's a fearful time. But I want to tell you, your father is with you in the long night. He is standing watch over you. God cares for us all night long. And if you're in one of those nights, you need to know it is not a sign God doesn't care for you. It is a sign of his entrustment that he has allowed you to face something, not that he sent it. It may have come from the devil. It may be just some product of a fallen world we live in. But he's allowed you to face something because he actually trusts you that you're going to have sufficient character and draw on his grace to get through it without whinging and moaning or getting cross and angry with God. Why should he let that happen? The reason is, my friend, he wants to fall the character of Jesus within you so that in eternity, in your resurrection body, you will be glorious for the glory we have there is determined by the measure of suffering here. And Western Christians struggle with long nights. You go to the church in China, they are experiencing a fresh wave of persecution I was reading about one of the Chinese pastors today and he was saying, you know, when the government took... uh, took pressure off us a few years ago. We decided we wouldn't have underground meetings. We'd have public meetings. He said it nearly ruined our church. 
Because he said, we'd suddenly the people switched and they started just coming to church to be entertained. They didn't want to do anything. They didn't want to pray. They didn't want to share their faith. They just wanted to come and hear great music and great preaching. And then persecution came again. It's driven us underground. He said, I'm so glad we're being persecuted because now my church folk are praying again, expecting the miraculous again, sharing their faith with anything that moves again. But when we had freedom, we were falling asleep. I think that could be a message to the Western church. We get offended when God doesn't give us a car park we pray for. (laughs) Whatever you go through, you keep praising him. You keep loving him because father's watching over you. How many have heard of a man called Ira Sankey? Anyone? Just a few. Ira Sankey was the song leader, worship leader for the evangelist D.L. Moody in the 1800s. D.L. Moody was like the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He was a very famous evangelist and uh, brought hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, he would have these enormous crusades, like you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people attending. And Ira Sankey, uh, he would lead worship and he would sing solo. And so he became quite a famous and well-known Christian in his own right. And the story's told, a true story, that on Christmas Eve, 1875, Ira Sankey was traveling on a steamboat on one of the great rivers of America. And because it was Christmas Eve, a number of the passengers recognized and they said, Mr. Sankey, won't you please sing us one of your great hymns? We'd love to hear you sing. And so because it was Christmas, he, he obliged them and he began to sing one of his great hymns that he, he sang a lot. And some of the words go like this. We are yours. Do befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. And when he finished singing it, the crowd clapped him and they dissipated And then one man was left standing, and he stepped forward, and he said, Mr. Sankey, yes, Sankey answered, did you ever serve in the Union Army during the Civil War? Now, the Civil War in America was 1860 to 1865, fought over slavery. The Union Army were the northern states. The Confederate Army were the southern states. They were fighting to preserve slavery. The Union Army, the North, were, were fighting to, to get rid of slavery as an unjust thing. And, of course, the, the Union Army did win eventually. And this man says, can you remember if you were doing guard duty on a certain night, it was a bright moonlit night in 1862, and the guy described the place, and Mr. Sankey said, yes, very much surprised. And the man said, well, so was I doing guard duty, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my rifle and took aim. I was standing in the shadow completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing the song you sang just then. I heard the words perfectly. We are yours. Do befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories for me. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that same hymn to me. When you'd finished your song that night, it was impossible for me to pull the trigger. I thought the Lord who's able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. 
and my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. I want to tell you, church, the devil can't take aim at you outside of God's control. If the devil takes aim at you, I want to tell you, God's protective hand is around your life. Nothing can happen outside his will. It doesn't mean God doesn't permit us to be attacked by the enemy. He allowed enemies in the promised land to remain because he wanted to teach generations of Israelites how to fight the battle and win. John the Apostle says, I write to you young men and young women because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. Jesus said on this earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but be of good cheer for I have overcome. God's design is that you and I overcome, not be overcome. So it's not like God's going to protect you from every attack of the enemy, but he's going to protect you from the design of the enemy to destroy you. He will not allow you to be destroyed. He will not allow you. If, If he allows you to be attacked, it's only so that you might come through victorious. And even when an outcome looks like defeat, it's not really. It's just different to the outcome that you thought. And that man, Ira Sankey, was seconds away from that Confederate soldier pulling the trigger on his rifle. Seconds away. And I don't know what prompted him on guard duty of all places, pulling a guard duty all night long. How many know that's not nice for a soldier? Nighttime guard duty is not not nice. That is just awful to get that assignment. But he's there, not resenting the fact he's got to do this all night guard duty. But he begins to praise God and he chooses this hymn that this Confederate soldier knows. That's got to be God, don't you think? And the point of the story is, when you're going through the long night, when you've got guard duty all night, when you're out on your own all night, the thing you need to do is lift up your voice and say, Oh God, I'm going to praise you in this. I'm going to bless you in this. Because who knows, your very praise may stop the enemy from being able to defeat you and destroy you in his attack. Nineteen hundred and four. It was a songwriter called Sevilla Martin. She wanted to visit a bedridden friend in New York. This friend had been had some horrible illness, had been in uh, bed a very long time, unable to get out of bed. And so she got to her friend, and, and in the course of the conversation, she asked her friend. She said, "Do you ever get discouraged because of your physical condition?" This is how the friend replied. She said, how can I be discouraged when my heavenly father watches over each little sparrow and I know he loves and cares for me? She was so touched by that that on the journey home on the train, Sevilla Martin wrote a song called His Eye is on the sparrow. That song's gone around the world, touched millions and millions of lives. You can Google it. You can go on YouTube. There'll be versions of it there. But some of the words go like this. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow 
and I know he watches me. And the chorus goes, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I tell you what, church, every time I see a sparrow now, I'm reminded of that truth. Every time I see those little birds making a nest in our roof, I go, thank you, Lord. Your eye is on the sparrow. You're watching over me. Every time we're going through something difficult and distressing, I'm saying, Lord, thank you. Your eye is on the sparrow. You're watching over me. You're a good father. You're with me in the long night. You're not going to let the weapons of the enemy. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Well, the front row thought that was good preaching. Thank you so much. The rest of you, I think like, I don't know, are you asleep or something? But you're just conservative Christchurch, is that right? Yeah, well, God's going to change conservative Christchurch to radical Christchurch, let me tell you. Hallelujah. You need to know, my friend, today that God is with you. There are, I sensed in prayer this morning there are people here that you're in the night right now. Some of you aren't. And you're in the day, and it's great, and cheer up, the night's coming, you won't be left out. And uh, but, uh, there are people here in the night, and you need to know, Father is standing watch over you, because you've believed in his son, Jesus. You now become a child of God. And as we draw this to a close, I just want to give the opportunity, it might be that some of you are here tonight, or some of you are sitting in the congregation in Selwyn, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe you once did, but you've walked right away from God like my son went into drugs right away from God. And you know today God is calling you back to himself. The Bible says this in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, as many that believe in him, that's Jesus, and who receive him, he gives them power to become children of God. It's not a matter of being religious. It's not a matter of being so holy that God is impressed with you. It's a matter of acknowledging, Lord, I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. Forgive me. Jesus died for me on a cross. Our Lord, ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, when you believe he is the light of the world, the one sent from God to forgive our sins, then you become a child of God. And I would love to pray for anyone this morning that needs to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to the Lord. Could you just close your eyes here and in Selwyn right now as you're sitting there, just close your eyes to help us concentrate this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. If you need to give your life to Jesus this morning or you need to come back to him, then I'm going to ask you right now where you're sitting, just simply raise your hand up, hold it up high, Leave it up. Is that your hand right at the back? Just hold it up if I've, if I've missed you. Or in Selwyn congregation, just raise your hand right now. You're saying yes to Jesus or you're coming back to him. Just hold your hand up high. I'll acknowledge it, then you'll be able to put it down. Is there anyone here this morning? Don't allow. Yes, God bless you, sir, over on my left. Uh, I see you. Someone's going to come and give you something right now. Um, and as soon as they give that to you, you can put your hand down. God bless you. Is there anyone else? See, sometimes fear will stop you. 
Are you say, people, what are going to people think? I'm going to embarrass myself. No, you're not. You're getting right with God. Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father. And I'm going to ask you just as I scan the room another time, if that's you, you're saying yes to Jesus, or you're coming back to him, you've been away from him, but you're coming back. Just quickly throw your hand in the air right now. Yes, God bless you right here in front of me. Um, a young lady, God bless you. Someone's going to come and give you something right now. And then you'll be able to put your hand down. Is there anyone else over here on my left, young man? Thank you. Uh, just keep your hand up till someone comes and gives you something. God bless you. Anyone else over there? Another young man um, on my right. And uh, someone's going to come and give you something right now. And then you'll be able to put your hand down. Anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand in the Selwyn congregation. Just raise your hand over there in Selwyn. Just raise it up. You're coming back to God or coming to Him for the first time. Just scanning here at Levita one last time. Anyone else want to join these four or five that have raised their hands? Just quickly overcome that fear in your heart. Just say, I'm doing it. And you put your hand up. It's like, yes, Lord, I'm going to get right with you. All right, I don't see anyone else. Church, let's stand. I'd love to pray. Um, And we're going to all pray the prayer together. But the four or five that raised your hands, can you especially pray this prayer? Mean it with all your heart. Here we go. Pray it after me. Pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me today for all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord. And I turn from them. And I turn to you. I believe you died on a cross for me. And you rose again from the dead. You're alive. So I now open the door of my life and ask you to come and live inside me. Lord Jesus, I now receive you. And I give my life to you from this day on. Give me power to live for you for the rest of my days. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer, you really meant it, then that's exactly what's happened. Any instructions, Carl? You'll you'll be followed up by the team, and they'll just want to help you take the next step. I'm just going to pray before we go back into worship. I do feel that there are people in the night. Sweetheart, you want to join me quickly? I feel there are people in the night. There'll be a lot more time for hands-on ministry this evening, but... Again, I'm just asking if you close your eyes for privacy. And if you are you right now in the night, it might be not you personally. It might be a family member that you're concerned about, somebody going through something, and it sort of is bringing you into the night as well. Or it might be you that you're going through that. Would you just raise your hand right where you stand? You're in the night. There's hands going up all over the place. Just keep your hands raised to the Lord. Father, you see every person going through a long night right now. And I pray that, Lord, right now, by the power of your Spirit, your love would draw near them. Your love would surround them. Your grace would surround them. Lord, let the accusing voice of the devil bringing confusion or accusation against you or anyone else be cut off from them. And Holy Spirit, minister the truth to them that, Lord, even though they're in the long night, you're standing watch. Even though they're in the long night, because your eye is on the sparrow, 
you're watching over them. And Lord, we pray you'll bring them through and deliver them, Lord, that they may become warriors, warriors of faith because of the trials that they're encountering. We declare that, Lord. Give them strength today in the name of Jesus. And what I was just sensing is that there are some of you here who are really facing um, serious needs. It might be financial or other needs. And could we just close our eyes again here and in Selwyn? And if that is you, would you just lift your hand that I can pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are our wonderful, generous provider. And Lord, I pray for every single need that you will richly supply them in abundance. Lord, I just break off any um, lack thinking, any poverty mentality. And Lord, would you just release such a revelation of your love to enter this situation that they will know and, and be rest assured that you answer. I call forth miracles, Lord, yes. from the God of miracles you, in the name of Jesus into every situation. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Hey, we're going to come back into worship. Why don't you honor God this morning? Why don't you just express your worship to the Father? You know, the Father seeks worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. I know many times you don't feel like worshiping because of stuff that's happening. But when you make it a sacrifice, like Ira Sankey did that night on guard duty, why don't we do that this morning? Why don't you lift your hands before the Lord? Lift your voices. Let's worship Him for these next few minutes. Thank you, team. God bless you.